Hi, everybody. This is Jeannie Faulkner, and you are listening to Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics, the podcast where we talk about all of that and then some. I wrote the book, Common Sense Pregnancy, which is available Amazon, Target, wherever you buy your books. I work for the jobs too, as a labor nurse, as a mother of many, and as a writer in the women's health, humanitarian, politics, and gender world. At the moment, however, I don't want to talk about any of that. I want to talk about the most pressing subject in my life at this very moment. It's a five-month-old corgi puppy that I'm puppy-sitting for a family member. He's adorable. He's super smart. He's very barky, and he's not dissimilar to a toddler. It's hilarious and messy and extremely disruptive, and I am not getting anything done. But you know what? I am having so much fun, and this little guy is such a good reminder about what's really important in life. I love how babies and toddlers and puppies really just you know demand that we pull ourselves into the present moment. I mean, really, what's better? We're, we were out for a walk this morning, and all of a sudden, the puppy sits his fat little butt down and refuses to budge. He was staring intently at something I hadn't even registered. It was a bunch of kids piling into a van on the way to school. He watched them until the van door slammed and the car pulled away, and he was amazed. He was amazed by the whole thing. And you know what? When you get right down to it, it kind of was amazing. The mother um, who hopped into the driver's seat of the van was all dressed for business and all the kids had backpacks and lunches and shoes and tidy enough hair. And you know what? I was really impressed. That's no easy feat. I imagine she got those kids to their schools and then drove across town to do her job. She looked great, like she had it all together. And God, I hope she knows she does. That, you know, thing about getting the kids to school or even just getting them in the van, it sounds simple enough, but you ask any parent what the toughest part of their day is, and they're going to tell you probably it's the morning rush when kids are sleepy and stubborn and their stuff is everywhere and you have to, you know, do two meals before they get out the door, breakfast and lunch has to be ready to go. Okay. Some parents will say that the witching hour is evening time before dinner, but I think that getting them dressed, fed, packed, and in their car seats on time for school is a freaking miracle. It's hero's work, mamas and papas, and I see you doing it too. I have this little puppy to thank for reminding me that all the really important work in the world is happening in really ordinary moments like this one. Now, if you don't have a dog to teach you this stuff, hang out with the toddler and notice what she notices. It'll be good stuff. Okay, what else? Politics, you guys. I don't even know what to say. We are right in the middle of the Kavanaugh hearings, um, and there's so much at stake here in terms of women's health and reproductive rights and immigrants' rights and rights for people of color and so much more. We're getting hit by yet another political bombshell. And you know, you, you get to the point where you think, this has got to be the last drop. But then, nope, there's more. Um, I can't even comment on it this week because by the time this episode goes live, something new will be happening. Here's the most important thing that you can do, no matter what's going on for you politically this week, the most important thing that you can do to help us all weather this atrocious political storm is to vote in the November midterm elections when a third of the Senate, that's 33 seats, and all 435 House seats 
all congressmen and congresswomen, they come up for re-election. And this is our chance to rebalance power on Capitol Hill and to you know, reduce harm caused by the Trump administration. And it's our chance to elect women into the most powerful offices in the country and to start making changes that impact real families like yours and mine. All right, that's my political statement this week as we get battered around a little bit. This midterm election in November may be the most important election in history, so don't miss it. Don't forget to register and make sure you show up at the ballot place and cast your vote. Do it. All right. What else? A little bit of promotion. A few weeks ago, I had the pleasure of being interviewed by Tracy over at Mumberry for their Survive and Thrive Pregnancy Resource Library. That was kind of fun to have the tables turned. I don't often get to be the one being interviewed. Um, I wasn't entirely prepared for this interview to be video as well as audio. So listeners, if you want to see what I normally look like in my studio when I'm not camera ready, this is the video for you. If you want to hear me talk about, you know, the aches and pains of pregnancy and pregnancy and feminism and global motherhood and how we're all part of it, go check it out. It's over at survivepregnancy.com. It's in their expert interview section, and I'll put a clip and a link up on my website too. They're doing good stuff over there. Okay. Um, let's hit the, let's hit the email. I got an email from Rebecca that I think everybody can relate to just about, uh, she says, I'm 24 weeks pregnant with my second baby and I've been struggling with yeast infections for this whole pregnancy. I was on antibiotics for a bladder infection during my first trimester and then on them again a few weeks a few weeks ago for a sinus infection. And each time I got a yeast infection after. I use the over-the-counter stuff, but it just comes back. I don't really want to go to the doctor again about this before my next prenatal visit because I have to take off work. But the stuff I buy at the store doesn't seem to be working. What do you think I should do about this? I'm really uncomfortable. Can this hurt my baby? Oh, dang, Rebecca. Oh, dang it, honey. I bet you're uncomfortable. Now, for those of you who don't know what a yeast infection is, feels like, it's itchy and it's icky and it can make your lady parts very sore. It's really not uncommon to get them, you know, after taking a course of antibiotics. Uh, that's because antibiotics, you know, they, they kill all kinds of bacteria, the good stuff and the bad stuff. And um, they can kill bacteria in the vagina that can allow yeast, um, which is Candida albicans, they, it can cause it to overgrow um, in areas like the, your vagina. And yeast infections are also more common if you have diabetes because yeast grows on sugar. And also during pregnancy, when hormone fluctuations can let yeast grow out of control for some women. Now, usually you can go buy some Monistat or yeast infection cream or suppositories over the counter at the store, and that clears it right up. But not always especially if the good bacteria that keeps yeast in line hasn't recolonized. The other thing is, Rebecca, what if this isn't a yeast infection, but something else? I mean, you probably know that it is. It probably is. But there are lots of vaginal infections that can cause itching and burning that are not yeast, um, and yeast infection meds won't cure them. I also get it that it's really hard to get to the doctor's office, especially you know if you've got to take off work, you have to you know, travel, it's a hassle. Um, and lately, you know, you call up for an appointment on 
for something that's bothering you today. And the closest appointment you can get is weeks out. But considering that you probably want some relief right now, that's what the phone is all about, babe. I want you to get on that phone, call your doctor's office, talk to his or her nurse and tell her what's going on. I know a lot of women are really embarrassed about this. They think that making a phone call to the doctor is going to be a hassle. It's going to bother them. They don't want to tell them anything. Believe me, she won't mind. She's a nurse. It's her job. She talks about this stuff all day long and she'll be happy to help you. She might also be able to do something about getting something prescribed through your pharmacy um, that'll do a better job than the -the over-the-counter product you've been using. Or she might have some other suggestions and ideas for you. Um, That's your very best option for getting some help today. But then we need to talk about why you're getting so many infections, honey. What's going on with your health and your immune system that you're not battling off sickness? What's happening in your life that's exposing you to these germs and preventing you from dealing with them? I don't know. It could be anything, right? I mean, maybe you're not getting enough rest or you're under too much stress or you're in a new work environment that you're not used to, germ-wise that is. Or maybe you're not eating what your body needs. I don't know, Rebecca, but I think you need to have a good talk with your healthcare providers to find out, you know, what else might be going on with your body. Especially since you're pregnant. I think it's pretty unlikely that this itchy, icky vaginal infection will cause you or your baby any harm, but Your body is trying to tell you something pretty important, and it's asking you to fix some problems. So listen to it, ask your doctor for help, and honey, do all you can to be well. Okay, let's take a quick break for one of our sponsors, and then let's get to this week's guest. Okay, we're back and ready to talk about a subject that always tends to heat things up a bit, formula or bottle feeding. Now, we've talked quite a lot about breastfeeding on the podcast, um, and I am a big fan and supporter of it. As a labor nurse, I worked real hard, hard as I could to teach moms how to breastfeed and, you know, to try to set them up for success. I was usually their first responder or educator in that department because I was usually the one that was there when they got their baby to the breast for the very first time. You know, we usually aimed for within an hour or so of birth, if, if possible. I also breastfed, you know, most of my babies for long stretches of time. So obviously I'm a big, big fan. Now, some mothers that I took care of, however, they didn't want to breastfeed. They couldn't breastfeed or had a struggle with it that either they or their baby couldn't get past. Now, there are a lot of reasons why women don't breastfeed and, you know, they're legit. I've known women who've had breast surgeries that disrupted milk glands and milk, you know, ducts and, um, you know, disrupted their ability to produce milk. I've known women who've been raped who were traumatized by having people, including their children, their babies, touch their breasts. I've had women who knew they were going to return to work shortly after birth. So they figured why get their babies and themselves used to breastfeeding only to switch gears to formula. Now for myself, as I mentioned, I breastfed most of my babies for long stretches, you know, 14 months, more than two years, a year and a half. And then with my youngest, just an abrupt short three months. That's when I got sick and I bought my first can of formula powder. Formula was essential for me and my baby, just as it is for those other women that I knew. So this week, we're going to talk a little about formula and about what it is, what it's made of, and what to do if your baby can't digest the formula most of us use. 
Dr. Annie Salzberg is a naturopath physician and the head of medical engagement and education at Cabrita. Let's get Dr. Salzberg on the line. Hi, Annie. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing, Jeannie? I am doing really well. So for the purposes of this podcast, we're super, super casual. Um, But I want everyone to know also that you are Dr. Salzberg and you're a naturopath. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. Okay. Are you good with just going on a first name basis here? I would much prefer it actually. Yeah, that's great. That's great for me. Me too. Me too. So, well then, you know, since I've already kind of told everybody your job title over at Cabrita, my first question is this, who are you and what do you do? You know, it's hard for me to answer that in a really succinct way. You know, when you say, who am I? The first thing that comes to mind is I'm a mom. You know, I have two boys. Um, they're not such babies anymore. They're one's going into grade five, one's going into grade three, but you know, they are they are my everything. So mm-hmm. I'm a mom. Um, as you mentioned, uh, professionally, my background is in naturopathic medicine. So I mm-hmm. um, practiced for over 10 years seeing patients. Um, I was involved in education work. So I was teaching. Um, I loved teaching. I loved working with students. I also worked with several companies and sort of an educational capacity. Um, and, and now, you know, several Several years later, I am um, overseeing our education at Cabrita and working with health professionals and uh, trying to raise awareness um, around this new option in baby feeding that we are um, trying to spread the word about. And um, and that's who I am. That's a pretty good. That's a pretty good description. So when you're not momming and you're not Cabrita-ing, what else do you do? Are you a runner or a canoeer or a reader or a knitter? What I else? am Just give me a, one more thing. sure. Yeah. I'm a yogi. That's sort of Ooh. been my, uh, you know, I would say that I'm, it would probably be, you know, my husband would laugh if I said I was a jogger or a runner because he mm-hmm. would know that that's the, the, the activity that comes and goes with, you know, you know, waxes and wanes as, as I sort of feel it. But the yoga has been my, my constant for, for many decades now. So it's, it's my nice. study. Nice, nice. Well, you know, I I um, wanted to do, you know, I wanted to get you on the line today and we wanted to do this episode because it's something that a whole lot of mothers and babies, you know, it's a really viable option for a lot of mothers and babies um, when breastfeeding really isn't the best choice. And we wanted to talk about formula feeding. And we've talked a lot about, you know, all the reasons why breastfeeding is usually the very best option most of the time for most women, but it isn't all the time. And without formula, mamas and babies would be in a whole lot of trouble. So I, we wanted, that's why, that's why you're here today, Annie. We wanted to talk about all that. And um, maybe what we should do is start off with listing some of the really obvious reasons why some women don't breastfeed. Yeah. And again, I just will, will sort of piggyback on what you said, which is that, you know, um, as a, as a, as a woman and as a, you know, Cabrita is a currently a, a team of moms uh, or led by women and we're, we, most of us are moms. Um, we broach the subject with a lot of sensitivity, uh, especially being mostly moms. We all have our own experience. And, and I would say on our team, there's 
a real range of experience. Some of us have exclusively breastfed. Some of us have exclusively formula fed. And, and several of us have done a mixture of both. So, um, you know, we just also really honor that every family's needs are really unique. And we sort of go for, lead from that place of, mm-hmm. you know, every person's story is, is unique. And, and, you know, we're working from the place of, of or we aspire to empower families with information. And so they can make the right choice for their little one. Um, but you asked the question, you know, what are some of the reasons why um, a family may not um, be able to breastfeed or choose not to breastfeed, or it may not be available? And, you know, again, I think there's a lot of reasons. You know, the one that comes up a lot or that we hear from our families um, a lot is the return to work and the challenges mm-hmm. uh, for many yeah. of the, the, the families and the women specifically who are um, either choosing to go back to work or have to go back to work and right. um, trying to manage that uh, pumping slash <laughs> um, feeding, morning night, morning and night feeding, et cetera, and trying to find that balance. Um, we know that yeah. for many women, um, pumping uh, during the workday is, is great and it works for them. Um, but we also know that that is not available to all women. Um, and for some Probably women, not even to like, most women. Probably not even to most women, I right. think. You know, yeah. that whole that whole thing we did just we did an issue an episode a couple of weeks ago with um about workplace policies around breastfeeding and um I really encourage listeners to go back a few weeks and take a look at that because that we cover that really really well that's, the breastfeeding thing yeah that's and great. you know I should, yeah, I will I know, think that as well. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, it, it's Jessica Shortall. She just, she wrote a really brilliant book about it and we talked about it. Um, and you know, some women out there are going, well, you know what, if you really want to be a breastfeeding mom and then you just live with that pumping disaster, you know, that happens for so many women. But if you are a working mother who doesn't work in an office or doesn't work in a setting where you have a place or the time or the supplies. What if you're a, a you're a waitress, or what if you work in a factory? What if you work, you know, any kind of job where you really don't have that kind of privilege, and that's what it ends up being is a privilege. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. and I can, you know, I can um, just if it's okay, I'll just share a very personal anecdote. You know, I feel as though, you know, my, um, my profession and my personal choice, um, you know, well, sorry, I should just say my, you know, historically I was able to do all sorts of different, um, jobs with, with my designation. And it really took me to various retailers and doing educational work in various clinics. And so I felt as though I was really working with folks who were quite progressive, if I could use that word and Mm open-minded. And, and I realized even though, that that still after I had my uh, my first and then second son and I was on the road and I was working and going into various retailers and and the supplement companies or various companies not just and just doing you know corporate work and and needing to pump and and ending up in broom closets because right. there was nothing um, right. and again I would almost I I, I I went from the assumption that I was working with like minded individuals that were really supportive and it would be quote unquote easier or easy. Right. Uh, and I right. still was in bathrooms and as I say, literally broom closets. So um, it was, uh, it's very real. Absolutely. What you're saying is true. Yeah. So, you know, in my work as a labor and delivery work nurse, when I was working with patients, many of the reasons why women would, you know, choose right from the start not to breastfeed um, was because they, it was because they knew they were going to go back to work and they just didn't want to go through the hassle of, 
you know, having a couple of weeks of breastfeeding and then having to wean and then doing formula. And they realized that it was just more practical for them to start that way. But then other women had, um, come, you know, come into pregnancy with having had breast augmentation surgeries or breast reduction surgeries that impacted the way that their mammary glands operated. Or there were women who came in with such poor nutritional and caloric intake that they simply weren't producing enough of anything um, to, to come in, to bring in some milk. And then there were a whole lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of women who just plain hated it. They just didn't want to be touched that way. And, you know, I, I would imagine that some of those women had, you know, issues in their past that made them really uncomfortable with that. And some women experienced pain, you know, and they just knew that they didn't want to. And then, you know, my own personal experience is that I breastfed my first three babies, but then, um, had my last baby and got real sick with cancer and had to do chemo and had to wean a baby and start on formula within a weekend. And people could be kind of even judgy about it until you realize, wait a minute, we've got good reasons for making the choices we make. Let's have some respect, you know? So with all of that, let's talk about formula. Yeah. What's in it? Yeah. What's in it? Well, I, again, I just want to to say that I, you know, I'm happy that you gave that preamble because I think it's so important to share context. And I think that the idea that suggesting that breast milk is is um, great and a, and a quote-unquote mm-hmm. perfect option for many families is not mutually exclusive from the idea that it's not right for other families, right? There's right. They, they can both be true. Um, and I just love that you gave all that context because I think it's so important and it just hopefully mm-hmm. validates um, every family's choice, you know, whatever, as I said earlier, you know, whatever's right for them. Um, right. So yeah, but, but that, as you said, it brings us to formula. So again, whether it's a, a need because of a, a physical um, issue or concern or issue uh, condition or a as you said, also a choice. Um, mm-hmm. Formula is there for a very good reason. It is there okay. to um, to be modeled after the nutrients that breast milk would deliver and to help babies grow and be safe. So it is a very mm-hmm. important um, food that many families um, need and choose. So, um, you know, Breast milk is um, dynamic. Breast milk changes with the needs of the baby. Um, and, and we know formula does not. So that is, you know, one yeah. of a number of limitations with formula. But right. breast milk, um, even though it's dynamic and it changes, it also has a, a nutritional pattern or a profile that, you know, despite, you know, I'm sure we are going to continue to learn so many so many pieces about breast milk. I know that they are continuing to discover new compounds in breast milk. But that being said, there are some um, parts of breast milk that that we know. Um, we know, you know, about the carbohydrates in breast milk, and we know about the fats in breast milk, and we know about the proteins, and and we do know about some of the vitamins and minerals, or many of them. And and so when one looks at a baby formula. Um, you know, a family should always keep in mind that it is modeled after the nutritional profile of, you know, of breast milk. And this is really to help babies grow. So when, when families see these very long list of ingredients on a formula tin, which can be unnerving and can sort of mm-hmm. give many families pause, um, I always just say, you know, there's a way to decode those labels. There's a way to understand what's in there and just know that mm-hmm. nothing in there is sort of 
by, you know, thrown in just be, just because nobody's trying to just right. put things in there. Everything plays a role. Everything is contributing to that nutritional profile. And, and that may sound fairly self, self-evident, but I think, um, you know, I, uh, a lot of the work that we do at Cabrita is sort of walking families through those labels and helping to demystify some of those ingredients, uh, because mm-hmm. a lot of them can have long names and sort of funny sounding names and be unfamiliar. Sure. They're not. And what, it sounds like chemicals. Uh, it just all sounds like, yeah, pouring chemical chemicals down your baby's throat. Exactly, exactly, and yeah. um, and I'm uh, you know I'm uh, understandably uh, any parent would have pause around that. So, uh, I was, you know, if you'd like, we can kind of walk through what you would expect to see in a label or a standard formula. Um, I'm not sure what you think would be the easiest way to to walk through um, what we might find, but but I'm happy to sort of take it any you know, way you like. I think that rather than you know trying to decode the labels, that it would be probably a better experience for for listeners to just hear what are the food ingredients? What are the ingredients in it? You know what I mean? Like most formulas are cow's milk based. Mm -hmm. Some are soy based. What about, let's talk about it in terms of that. Sure. Sure. So yeah, I mean, you, you sort of, the, the, the fundamental, um, piece that you're talking about is really the protein source um, mm-hmm. in a formula. So, you know, standard formula, and I say standard in quotation, and, and I think what I mean by that is what is most readily available, obvious, historically the norm is a formula. The, the stuff you can pull off the shelf at the grocery. That's right. And what you'll find in yeah. most hospitals, et cetera, and what you're probably most pediatricians right. or nurse practitioners or nurses are used to is, um, yeah. is based on cow's milk. And that's sort of because that was started many, many, many decades ago. Um, right. And cow's milk is, is a, um, a, you know, the source. And, and I mentioned the reason why I call it a protein source is, is because it's important to know that, you know, cow milk would not be suitable for an infant. And I think probably most parents know that. Um, so you have to recall that the formula is, is adapted, it's fortified, it's, it's, you know, and I mean this in a positive way, it's manipulated to be suitable mm-hmm. for a, a little one. So it, it's, mm-hmm. you know, the, the cow milk um, and the, the protein from it is usually used as a bit of a base or they call it a source. And as you mentioned, mm-hmm. it would be quite different from a, um, a plant-based option, which could be soy, soy-based formula. Um, that would be an option for families who um, we're vegan, for example. Um, I mean, currently the American Academy of Pediatrics does not recommend soy as a first lo- first choice. Um, mm-hmm. they, 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 do not, they don't, but we know that some families who have babies who are allergic to cow milk protein may um, choose to go in soy. Again, that's not typically the first choice, but it is available. Mm-hmm. Um, some of those babies mm-hmm. also react to the soy. Uh, and of course, uh, at Cabrita, we offer a third option, which would be a, a formula based on goat's milk. So, um, again, as I said earlier, cow is sort of the, the standard formula in North America. Uh, goat is a much lesser known option, um, probably in, in much, very large part because goat milk is just not consumed as, as much in North America and the U S as it is in mm-hmm. other countries. Um, yeah. and so Cabrita has introduced this new option to the U S market and, um, and we're excited to tell people about, you know, the differences and, and so why, why a goat milk based formula and uh, we can get into the the protein differences if you'd like. Um, I would, but I also want to, you know, talk, just talk a little bit more about, you know, when, when parents are in the, 
in the choosing um, phase of deciding what kind of formula their baby might get, I mean, how would parents know if their baby is, I mean, I think most of them are going to go with the obvious choice that they can get easily, that's affordable, that's handed to them in their offices. You know, that's the stuff you can literally get at the market. Um, But how would they know if their baby needs something else, if it's not digesting it properly? That's a great question, Jeannie. Um, You know, I think that um, you know, I, I mean, I want to say that as a parent, you know, I think we, most of us have an innate sense of when our little one is, is thriving or not. You know, I think there's Mm -hmm. that sort of intuitive piece. I think more concretely, um, what we talk a lot about are those, um, what I would call mild to moderate signs or symptoms that could sort of be a bit of a clue. I, I think if there there mm-hmm. are probably obvious signs if your child is not doing well. I mean, these would be quite you know concerning if there was, you know, um, vomiting, diarrhea, you know, blood uh, mm-hmm. in your baby's poops, um, baby's not growing. I mean, these would be all quite concerning, and hopefully, any parent yeah, would and clearly get to the exactly. pediatrician exactly. I mean, yeah, when, when we're you know, there's I think I almost would want to make a distinction between quite serious, you know, concerning signs and symptoms that a parent should really be addressing quite promptly. And then I would say there's a lot of families, um, or what we hear about a lot, are families who have children who are having these much more lower grade, mild to moderate concerns. So maybe maybe child is... Um, you know, constipated, not not moving their bowels as, as often as parents think they should, or having tummy aches, mm-hmm. maybe um, frequent ear infections, Colicky. nasal congestion, stuffiness, a yeah. cough that just is not going away. So these are, again, right. um, rashes. Exactly. Oh, rashes, rashes, rashes. we hear about so many rashes, eczema, things yeah. like that. So yeah. these are, again, signs that, you know, I'm a big believer, and I think that, uh, and we have the science to back this up, that diet plays a really big role. In, in various mm-hmm. symptoms. And so, yeah. you know, especially when it comes to little ones where the diet is primarily going to be the formula, it really makes sense if you have a little one who's experiencing a longstanding chronic issue, you know, it's, I, you know, it makes a lot of sense to investigate what, what role, if any, diet could be playing. And of course, that, that comes up in terms of, you know, is it time to make a swap with your formula? You know, you, I, I've seen families where, you know, they have formula fed for generations and um, that's just how they do. And that's not uncommon. It really isn't uncommon. Um, and then they talk amongst themselves about how their babies are, they're all just rashy. We just have rashy babies or, you know, we just have colicky babies. They just cry a lot. They get used to it, you know, and, and you want to say, but look at what you're feeding them. Let's talk about that. Maybe all of your babies have something in common, like they really don't like that formula. That's right. Yeah, maybe that. <laughs> we need to think about, about something else. An irritant, you know? Who know? You know exactly. Yeah. No, like yeah, 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 yeah. And we do. We know we have um, on our website. We have a diet diary form that families often will download uh, again because mm-hmm. you know it could be the formula, it could not. It could be something else sneaking into the diet. But yeah. you're looking at the overall dietary pattern and trying to make connections, especially when you have a child who has these are more low grade quality you know, quality of life concerns. Again, mm-hmm. these are not urgent, um, urgent symptoms. These are again, you know, like you said, babies, you know, child's had a rash and ongoing, it's not going away or babies, you know, as yeah. I said earlier, they're often. uncomfortable. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. um, you know what I love about stuff like that is, um, you know, even though that kind of a dietary log isn't going to be a diagnosis, it, but it's information that parents can start there 
keep, you know, keep a logbook for a little bit of time and then take that to your pediatrician because then you're already a step ahead, you know? You can really utilize that information in a really comprehensive medical appointment and say, hey, look, we've already done this part. What do you think? I think I a hundred percent agree. I think it's so useful. It's useful. You know, I think it helps uh, the parent to get some insight. Um, I think mm-hmm. it also just putting stuff on paper just brings greater awareness and um, yeah. more attention. And, and absolutely when you're working with a health professional, it's so useful to be able to present something somewhat objective like that and say, this is what we, you know, this, this is what this week looks like. Oh my goodness. There's you know, eggs every day did not really realize that or whatever the insight is, mm-hmm. but uh, absolutely mm-hmm. it could be great grounds for further tests if they're warranted. Yeah. Yeah. Or sometimes even just taking a look at it and you're using a little bit of common sense and saying, you know, let's change this and that, you know, as a, as a naturopath, I bet that you have a lot of information for patients about just making minor shifts that can make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We talk a lot about swaps. Yeah. So, you know, common tr- yeah. dietary tr- triggers and some of the, you know, um, some swaps that, that could be a little bit easier to digest and that, and that may yeah. be better tolerated. So absolutely, it's a big part of the practice and, um, and it's something that we even talk about at Cabrita. So we have some resources if parents are interested. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about Cabrita a little bit. Now, you guys did a, a a nice sponsorship for Common Sense Pregnancy Parenting and Politics earlier this summer, I think it was. And thank you oh, for that. Our pleasure. Um, but I wanted to ask you guys a little bit more about making this company. I mean, how did it start, and why a formula company? And you know, what are you guys about? Sure. Um, well, I can. You know, we start, we you know our team here. Uh, you know, cannot obviously take all the credit. Um, you know, the, the, it is a Dutch based team. So our, you know, we have a company, um, that is headquartered in Holland. So over in Europe and, mm-hmm. um, they have been in the dairy industry for almost a hundred years. So there's a lot of dairy expertise and nutrition expertise that I would say, you know, underpins, um, you know, Cabrita. And in addition to having all this cow milk, because originally cow milk dairy expertise, there was a, a lot of growing um, knowledge and expertise around goat milk. And so when the time came to develop the products uh, and move globally, um, they enlisted, you know, the help of um, some folks locally, which included a team of, of women and moms uh, here in North America. And, you know, I, what I can tell you we're all about um, is, as I said earlier, to empower parents. I mean, this is, I would say, sort of, as a theme, all of us as moms is, is, you know, we're just hungry for knowledge and hungry for information. And I think all of us that on this current team have all felt stumped by a lack of information in our parenting journey at various points. So I think there's a real deep commitment to being transparent, to being accessible, um, focusing on our community. Um, and I, and I apologize for, for saying this over and over again, but really, you know, using the platform to empower families to, to be confident in the choices they're making and to feel like they're making informed choices. Um, and so I think there's a a real commitment to that. Um, we, we aspire to be generous or we are generous where we can. We, we really love our community. We, we have wonderful families that support Cabrita and we love connecting with them. We connect with them, you know, on the phone, through email, on social media, and they're so responsive. Um, so we love being generous. We, we love continually improving our, ourselves and our processes and our product products. 
Um, we, we believe we have an opportunity to do things a little bit differently. Um, and, and that includes, you know, the way we talk to our, our families and our community. And that includes the way we share information. And that includes, you know, how we just generally interact with, with our community. So, um, I mean, I don't know if that's us in a nutshell, but that's, you know, we're, we're a pretty, we're a, that sounds pretty yeah, good. We're, we're a small dedicated team yeah. of, of, um, of doers and, uh, and we're just feel really, well, I, I mean, I believe I can speak for all of us, but I, I know I can speak for myself, you know, really full of gratitude and, and really appreciate this journey of bringing something totally new, um, to the U S um, and, and just having, you know, sharing this new option with families that I think for many, many families is a real game changer. And, and when you receive that feedback, it's, it's just, you know, overwhelmingly heartwarming. Um, so I think we get a lot out of that, get, you know, that hearing that positive um, feedback. So, um, you know, I don't know if we've fully covered, you know, what it is about goat milk that makes it a better option. But I want to talk a little bit about it, you know, how it's just a gentler option for some babies. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. So gentler is probably one of the favorite favorite ways we use to describe it. Um, and we talk about it being naturally gentle. So, um, you know, most folks, as we were talking about earlier, are probably most familiar with a, you know, a standard cow's milk formula that you would find at any store. And, and what folks need to, to know is that when you drink milk or cow milk, um, or any milk for that matter, what happens is it curdles, it forms a curd in your stomach. Um, can, I always often, often will tell people to, re, to think of that nursery rhyme, you know, little Miss Muffet sat on her tuffet eating her curds and whey. So you can imagine yeah. that curd and that that way, that's that liquid protein part. And so when you drink mm-hmm. cow milk or goat milk, you, you get a curd. And then there's like a portion of that milk or that protein, that, that whey pro- part that stays liquid and it kind of rises to the top. So if you imagine um, a tiny tummy or even an adult tummy for that matter, um, one can imagine that what you want is a, is a small curd. Uh, a really large, tough curd would not be would not feel very good. And so what we know is that cow milk forms a a larger curd, um, a tougher curd, sort of a a firmer curd compared to goat milk. So goat milk, um, again, compared to cow milk protein, forms this smaller curd. It's looser. So it's almost like um, it's softer. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I've, I've had the, I've had, I've had the, I was going to say pleasure, that might sound funny, but I've seen images of these protein curds under um, um, an electron um, microscope, so quite zoomed in. Mm -hmm. And what's really neat is you can almost imagine a cow milk protein curd. It looks like a very dark, stormy cloud. It's very dense. And a goat milk curd looks almost like lacy clouds. It's very spacey Mm -hmm. and, and loose. Mm -hmm. And so imagine that sitting in a little baby's tummy. And so what we know is a looser curd gets broken down faster, whereas a larger, denser curd is slower to break down. So that was a really quite a long explanation, but ultimately it comes down to a gentle curd that's broken down quickly, which is going to be gentle on a tiny tummy. And so I think when we talk about some of the challenges that families or little ones might experience on a cow milk-based product, these sort of you know, constipation, bloating, gas, you know, and other issues that could be related to diet, what we know is when folks often make the switch, 
it's gentler on the digestive system. It's, ge- it's easier to break down. Babies are much more comfortable. So we have these little happy tummies. And we say it's naturally gentle and naturally easy to digest because we know that when it comes to cow milk formula, other manufacturers will hydrolyze it to break it down, to make it easier to digest. They process it. So that's probably a whole separate conversation. But, you know, when it comes Mm -hmm. to cow milk formula, it can come in different forms. And so some of the sensitive formulas or some of the formulas that are touted as being easier to digest, the way the companies do that is by breaking down those proteins. Um, But what we say is we don't have to do that. We don't have to process our proteins to make them easier. They just come like this. This is the properties of goat milk. It's sort of innately gentle. Uh, which we think is a real win. And we think it just I do too. I like the sound of it. Yeah. I like the sound of it. It's less processed perhaps. Yeah. 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 So some of our listeners are going to be interested in learning more about this. And some of our listeners are going to want to just go ahead and give it a try. So let's direct listeners to where they need to go for both. Sure. Uh, the best and easiest way to try Cabrita would be to go to our, go to our website. So that's cabritausa.com. That's K-A-B-R-I-T-A-U-S-A.com. It'll be really clear when you get to our site. Across the top is a banner that um, gives you a link to a free trial. So we send you a free tin of formula. Uh, you just have to pay for shipping. That's $8.99. And we send you a free 14-ounce um, tin. Uh, so it's a wonderful way to try the product with your little one and, uh, and see if it's right for your family. Can they get it? You know, is it sold in stores anywhere or is it always stored online? No, absolutely. We are both in bricks and mortar stores as well as online. Again, uh, I often do direct folks to the trial offer just because if they want to give it a try. That being said, uh, if people wish to go and purchase full tins, they can, again, purchase through our own website, through every major online retailer. So Amazon.com, Walmart.com. Costco.com. And then the bricks and mortar stores uh, will depend obviously on where folks are are based. Um, We're Mm -hmm. nationally through Whole Foods Market, Sprouts Market. Um, But again, if they're on our website, they can go to our store locator and put in their zip code and it should be able to tell you uh, which stores are close by. You're all over the place. We are. You guys are all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're getting close to time to wrap up, but I still have a couple of questions for you. If you're game. I'm game. Okay. So how would you fill in the blank? Nobody ever told me that. Nobody, oh, nobody ever told me that motherhood is a marathon. <laughs> hmm. You gonna elaborate? <laughs> and well, I remember mm-hmm. uh, somebody once telling me that, you know, I am well, I will say. My skill set tends to lend itself better to sort of short bursts of activity and sprinting. So I often describe my work style is, you know, fast and furious and frenzied, and I sort of pump things out quickly. So my natural orientation is, is, is a little less towards the, the, long, the long game. And so, you know, mm-hmm. for me, uh, pacing myself uh, as a mother, my own energy, doing that self-care piece, um, mm-hmm. finding my way, 
finding ways so as not to, to burn out really um, mm-hmm. and continue mm-hmm. to give uh, to my kids has been such a huge and ongoing, is an ongoing learning process. Uh, I tend to, you know, like to go, go all out with them and, and just go hard. But I also know that, you know, every day is another day. So that was probably, right. Uh, right. I got a lot of advice around, you know, what to feed my kids and, and where to send them to school and all these sorts of things. But, but nobody really talked to me about um, re- recharging and how I was going to recharge mm-hmm. and, and stay the course and continue to give, you know, everything I want to, to, to my kiddos. Yeah. That's really good. That's a really good fill in the blanks there. So my last question for you then is this, answer it any way you want, professionally, personally, historically, anything. Where are you in your life in terms of motherhood? I, uh, in terms of motherhood, I think I am in a, a golden, golden age. Um, mm. I, I think I'm enjoying this stage with my kids probably the most, if I have to be really honest, than any stage. I'm in a, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm really loving the, the little, the big little people that they're becoming. I love having conversations with them. I love um, how the world is getting bigger for them. I love being a part of that. So where am I in terms mm-hmm. of motherhood as I'm sort of in, in awe in a different way than I was, you know, when they took their first steps, you sort of have that whoa moment. Uh, and now where yeah. I am in motherhood is, is I can feel, I can feel them moving into the world. I can feel that they're going mm-hmm. but it feels pretty golden. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a sweet spot for sure. Yeah. Well, this has been a really fun conversation. And I learned, I learned some things. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure, Jeannie. It was really lovely to connect. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the podcast. We'll talk again soon. I hope so. Okay. Bye. Bye. Our guest today was Dr. Annie Salzberg, Head of Medical Engagement and Education at Cabrita. You can learn more about Cabrita at cabritausa.com. You can learn learn more about me at jeanfaulkner.com. That's J-E-A-N-N-E, Faulkner, F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R. Email me at jean at jeanfaulkner.com. Tweet me at jeanfaulkner and go find us over on Instagram. Let me know if there's something you want me to cover. And of course, if you're interested in sponsoring Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics, we'd love to hear from you. Go find the link for advertising opportunities over on my website. And go buy the book, will ya? Common Sense Pregnancy is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios. That's it for this week. We'll talk again next week. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.